We're in a series, and that series is on 1 Peter, and we have been plugging away and said just a few things along the way. Overall, the book of 1 Peter tells us that when faith itself gets difficult, we can stand firm. A desire that is fulfilled is actually a tree of life. That hope that we look forward to that is to come, that desire will be fulfilled. And how do we right now make it knowing that it's not yet coming? He says, just keep keep placing um, your mind's attention, heart's affections, etc. on what is to come, and you will find that God will bring the satisfaction that will be necessary even in this life. A living hope is an active hope, meaning this. As believers, we are not called merely to be passive. There are many things in which we are passive. We are called to an active hope, pursuing it in an active way. Overall, 1 Peter is a book that is written to a bunch of people that are hurting. They had been experiencing some level of persecution. Now, many of them were not experiencing the kind of persecution we think of when we think of worldwide persecution. They weren't in danger of losing their lives, most of these that Peter is writing to. Again, church in what is modern-day Turkey, uh, he's writing to all over, but they were, um, they were losing their jobs. They were losing their social status. They were being ostracized. And it was specifically because of their Christian faith. We have been blessed for so long in America to live in a country in which it says that's a no-no. You can't persecute people based on what it is they believe. Whether or not you agree with what they believe, it makes no difference. You can't persecute people based on that. Now, I believe in our laws. I believe in our Constitution. I believe in our form of government. This form of government is not straight out of the Scriptures. I do not mean to imply that God can be in any government. He is above it. He, he works in His people throughout all generations in many ways. Um, but I do want to bring to your attention something that's already been in our news. There's a man who is a public servant here in Tallahassee. And specifically because of his faith, there is an outcry from a certain group, people that would not consider themselves to be followers of Jesus. They're asking for his job. I just simply quote this article here from WCTV. It came out a couple of days ago. Coalition of Activist Groups is calling on the city to denounce and demote Tallahassee Police Chief Lawrence Revel after he spoke at a religious retreat in September. Revel took part in a law enforcement conference last month at the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association in North Carolina. The activists called the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association one of the nation's most notorious anti-LGBTQ plus Christian right groups, close quote. Chief Revel's public leadership as chief of police at such an event furthers an atmosphere of discrimination, intimidation, and harassment against the LGBTQIA plus and non-Christian population in Tallahassee, close quote. I have no political statement here, I promise you. Zero political statement here. What I want to tell you is this, whether or not you think it's coming, it's here. The time in which Peter was writing was to a group of believers, and he's telling them, hey, Pay attention. You are going to be discriminated against. You are going to be ostracized. You're going to be harassed. You're going to be persecuted. Why? Because of your faith. Because of the person of Jesus. 
Jesus said, the world hated me first, so please don't be surprised when they hate you. You're just associated with me. You're just guilty by association. And so the world is going to come after you. We have lived, you and I, lives we've lived for so long without much of this. It's here. It's coming. Now, I happen to believe that our laws are going to be on our side for quite a long time. I believe that the, the law of the land is going to be just fine. We have lawyers, some of you here, even in this room today, watching online, um, uh, in which you're well-trained to do and, and to go defend what it is that our, that our country stands for. I, I'm not concerned there. What I am concerned for is that we as a church would say, can you believe this is happening? Yeah, believe it. And don't get all bent out of shape. Now, this... Particular man, Lawrence Revel, is a member, a longtime member of a fantastic church right here in Tallahassee that has so faithfully proclaimed the gospel over the years. He, he needs no counsel from me. He, he needs no help from me whatsoever. But I stand with my brother. It's now my brother who is having a group press in and say, simply because not of your record, not of your performance on the job, simply because of who you're associated with, we want you to step down from public service. It's coming. How would Peter have us do it? What would Peter say to us when this happens? He's been saying it all along. I wonder if many of us wonder if God has stopped working when things get really, really difficult for us. In other words, when life takes a turn and, and things start to get really, really hard for us, things like our jobs get in jeopardy, things like friends leave us, things like we get pushed out of social circ uh, 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 circles, I wonder if we wonder if God has just simply stopped working. If things don't go our way, do we wonder if God has stopped working? I want to give you a promise today. And it's not a promise from a slick preacher. It's not even something that's all, all that carefully crafted in its statement. It's just straight out of the Bible. I want to give you a promise. And that promise comes from Jesus Christ. He says this, I will never stop building my church. So I don't know what the circumstances are for you in your life right now. I don't know what they are in your family, in your, home, uh, in your uh, neighborhood, at your workplace. I, I don't know. I, I don't know today if you are wondering, has God stopped working in my life? I've stopped seeing the kind of blessing that I so desperately want. And I wonder if God has stopped. I want, to, I want you to hear this. Jesus says, I will not stop building. He will not stop building his church of which you are a single part. Now, I can't guarantee you that he's going to provide for you everything that you want in your own personal life. What I can tell you is this. He's going to use everything in your life as a part of building up this thing called the church. Not just little C Wildwood Church, big C Jesus Church. He won't stop building. It will keep advancing. Individual churches may fall away, but the kingdom of God will continue to advance forward because he is on a mission. That mission is for
for his kingdom, as we just sang, to reign forever and ever and ever. And that day, my friend, is coming. This is a section here that we'll be looking at. We'll be finishing up what could be described as the second section in the book of, uh, the book of 1 Peter. The book of 1 Peter could be divided as follows. You can have the introduction in the first chapter, verses 1 and 2. second section, as we talked about, it was just simply believe what God has done. From chapter 1, verse 3, all the way through 2.10, which closes out that section today. This is not the only way that you could divide up the book of 1 Peter, but it is the way that we have chosen to go about it. So this closes out that second section, the first one after the introduction. Now, we're going to read here in 1 Peter chapter, uh, uh, chapter 2, but I want you to notice the relationship that's going to exist between Christ and the church. Christ is the living stone. We are living stones. We are a spiritual house. Christ is the cornerstone of the house. We will not be put to shame. Christ, which is the stone, is the one who removes the shame. Christ is the priest. We are the priesthood. I could go on. Notice the relationship that is going to exist here between Christ and his church. In honor of God's word, if you would stand as we read from 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 4. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who don't believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you, you're a chosen race, royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You may be seated. Peter writes here, and in verses 4 and 5, he just simply says, talks about living stones. And he says that Jesus is the living stone and that we are going to be, in many ways, living stones. Look how he puts it. So, uh, uh, as you come to him. Now, I'm convinced that this is at least an allusion to Psalm 34, verses 4 and 5, which says, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces will never be put to shame. The psalmist says, I sought him. Peter uses this in a term in which the, the word is ongoing. It's in the present tense. It's perfect, meaning this. As we continue to come to him. On the one hand, we come one time through the person of Jesus Christ to God the Father. The only way to get to God the Father is through the person of Jesus Christ. He says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. So on the one hand, he's saying we come to Jesus initially, bowing the knee of submission, saying, 
I believe there's no other way I can be made right with God except through Jesus. But on the other hand, what he's talking about is there's this continual pursuit, this continuous coming into the presence of God. It's a great, great word. In the Old Testament, it was used of priests that would make their way um, into the presence of God. They would come to the altar. It's, it's a word that actually lacked a vowel. It's just Q-R-A-B-Karab. It means to approach. If we get nothing else from this morning, please get this right here. Our job as children of God is to constantly, consistently, reverently, soberly, persistently come to God. I want to say it again in case you are misguided in thinking that somehow or another God needs your giftedness, that his church is really going to suffer without your involvement, that somehow or another the mission is not going to get accomplished. I want to invite you to do as I've had to do, get over yourself. On the one hand, you are not needed at all. On the other hand, you are indispensable because God has called you. Now, I don't know how to explain that. What I do know is this. God doesn't need you to move his church forward. What he desires is for you to continually pursue him. He will be found by those who seek after him. James says, draw near. Can I ask you this in your spiritual pilgrimage? As you read the scriptures, is it more of a theological puzzle to solve? Or are you coming to the person who is the living word? Draw near near. What will change your life? Not the ink on this page. An understanding of this will not change your life. An application of this will not change your life. Jesus will change your life. The Holy Spirit will give you an understanding of this. Great things will happen in and through you, yes, but Jesus is the one who changes it. Come to him, seek after the Lord. Jesus, he tells us here in this verse, is the one who is chosen by God, although he is rejected by men. So come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. This is the stone, we'll explain it in just a minute, that is rejected by men. The ultimate rejection is going to come into the cross itself. That's where Jesus was ultimately rejected by the world itself. He is rejected by men, but God has chosen him. Jesus is precious, holy in his sight. God has chosen him specifically to be rejected so that we might be accepted. So come to him. There is no other way to get right with God. There is no other way to know God. There's no other way to develop an intimacy with God outside of the person of Jesus. Your disciplined study habits won't get you close to God. Your prayers won't get you close to God. This table won't get you close to God. Being here on Sunday mornings or watching online won't get you close to God. Taking part in your small group won't get you close to God. All those things are avenues by which God has said, use them, yet yes, embrace them, but Jesus and Jesus alone is the only one who brings us close to God. 
So come to him. Is your religion a Jesusless religion? Are you a fan but not a follower? Are you an admirer of him but have yet to bow the knee of submission? Come to him, the living stone that was rejected by men, but in the sight of God is precious. Now notice he says here in verse 5 that you yourselves are like living stones, are being built up, and it says as a spiritual house. Now, nowhere else in the New Testament are we called this. We're not called um, living stones in any other place. But in 1 Corinthians 3.16, as well as chapter 16.9, as well as Ephesians 2, and also again in Hebrews 3, we're referred to as either the temple or as a house of God. We are being built up for the purpose of ministering to others. On the one hand, we are being built up because there is added numbers that are coming into our presence. More people are coming to faith. On the other hand, we are being built up as we learn how to function better as church members. How do we minister more effectively to one another? In this section, he's going to talk a ton to us about the collective body. There are some words in here that are good for us as individuals, but think on a big term. This is the church that he's talking about here. We are being built up. It has been such a joy over the last couple of months to just share stories that we do as a, as a staff. Just where, where do we see evidence of God? How is God moving amongst us? What's he doing? It's been fun to listen and see how people have come to faith in just the last few months right here. We are being built up by people who were a part of the darkness, who have now been brought into the light, but we're also being brought up as people are learning how to more effectively minister. Do you know what's taking place right now? There's this group that's getting together. It's a group of ladies that are meeting and challenging, learning from, etc., one another. They're learning how to better minister to other women. Now, later on, we'll have some election of officers, and we do believe that the officers are for the men in the church, but we also believe that ministers, in the sense that the scriptures use it, are men and women. There's no distinction. Men and women minister effectively, and right now we've got several ladies getting together, praying, thinking, learning, studying the scriptures. How can we better minister to other women? In some ways, you could say the ladies are outdoing us. How are you learning how to minister? Or are you just waiting to be ministered to? There are seasons in each of our lives in which we should solely be ministered to. There are times in which we are, are, uh, are exhausted, spiritually speaking. There are, we are wounded. We must heal. But most of the time, what God calls us to is, is the ministry of the church. Are you waiting on the elders to do all of the work? On the deacons to do all of the work? God has called us as a church to do the ministry. You'll see it here, here in a second. We are being built up. Then he says this, we are being built up for what? To be a holy priesthood and offer the sacrifices which are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. The priesthood were those that would 
offer the sacrifices on behalf of the people to the person of God. They would take the prayers of the people and offer them to the person of God. We are a priesthood. We are being built up so that each one of us might be a priest ministering to one another, certainly here in the context of this body right here, but also outside the walls of the church. And we are to offer the sacrifices. What are those sacrifices that are mentioned? As the scripture mentions several. It offers... Uh, uh, speaks of the offering of faith, gifts as a fragrant offering. Our bodies are living sacrifice. There is the sacrifice of praise. Uh, there is the conversion even of Gentiles as an acceptable offering uh, to God. And uh, Paul even talks about his coming death as a drink offering. There are offerings that we will make as a priesthood to God on behalf of other people. Can I just simply um, ask you this? Um, right now, with the people um, in your life, my challenge would be to our, uh, to our, uh, our chief police um, right now, for those who are right now currently seeking to ostracize you, who are seeking to push you out, who are seeking to silence you, who, who, those who are against you, um, what is your posture towards it? What sacrifice are you making on their behalf? What I would encourage um, us to do is, uh, on the one hand, let's, let's indeed pray for our chief of police. I, th I think he, he, he needs it. Can we pray for those who are coming after him? How great would it be if the very people who are going after them are so moved and stirred by the Spirit of God that they have to repent and ask God to radically change who they are, and now they live for a whole different mission. I know, I know, that sounds on the one hand a little too Pollyannish. But don't forget, it was Jesus who looked down at the very people who were crucifying him and saying, Father, forgive them. They don't quite know what they're doing. And some of those that were there right on the spot right then, later on did indeed come to faith. If I could just press you towards one sacrifice in particular, would you sacrifice some of your time and your energy as you hit your knees and that you would pray that the Spirit of God would move amongst us? In verse 6, he tells that there's a stone that is in Zion. I believe this comes from Isaiah 28. It says, Therefore the Lord says, uh, therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am the one who has laid the foundation in Zion, a stone, tested stone, a precious stone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste. Notice he says this. First of all, it's a stone of honor. Psalm 34, 5, again, those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. There may indeed be shame that takes place here on this earth. There may indeed be dishonor that takes place here on this earth currently. We may indeed be pushed so far out that the world makes us a laughing stock. That has happened all throughout the history of the church. What Peter reminds his readers is this. Right now, you may be those that the, that the world is looking down upon and is laughing, uh, that, that, that is mocking. That may indeed be you, but there is coming a time in which Jesus is going to return. You will not be put to shame then if you continue to come to him, if you remain in him, if you abide in him, if you trust in him, then you will not be put to ultimate and eternal shame. But if you give up now, 
And you say, it's just too hard now. I'm, a, I'm abandoning this thing called Christianity. Then it tells us over here in verses 7. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and, and it's a stone of stumbling. It's a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word. The word that's used here for the cornerstone means this. It's a term that we don't use very often. But it was the stone that was laid in which all the other stones would be built upon and around, meaning this is the one that sets the stage for everything. Jesus is the cornerstone. He is the head of the church. Everything else is built on him and built around him. It is built on his strength, his vision, his wisdom. He looked at Peter, and Peter asked, who who do you say? Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, Asked about his confession. Peter gave a confession as to who Christ was. He said, upon this rock, I will build my church. One section of the church says that it's upon upon Peter, that he's the uh, the rock. We believe that it's actually the confession of, of Peter's self, that Jesus himself, that's what he's going to build his church upon. It's built simply upon, upon that now. The stumbling block comes in this, and this is where we begin to wind down. This is where we really wanted to get to. Jesus himself is the stone upon which people stumble. I have... Uh, been privileged over the years, uh, and, and initially in the context of AA, to uh, talk to people about Jesus Christ, the higher power as I understand him. And the advantage of being an AA is you're amongst the people who are all desperate. They are desperate to see something happen in their lives. And being able to share with folks that Jesus can bring freedom from addiction um, has been a marvelous thing to watch. As I got outside of the group of people that were so desperate to see something happen in their lives, I got to see a, other, a, a, a group of people that were not necessarily um, uh, desperate for anything to change in their lives. Here's what I noticed. I noticed a lot of Jesus admirers, but not a lot of those that were willing to bow the knee of submission to him. Just recently in my office, uh, Fantastic opportunity, a gentleman that was able to walk through a four-week study going through the Gospel of John, and we get to the end of that study, and he says this, I just can't buy into him dying and coming back to life. I think he's a great guy. I just can't believe he's God. The person of Jesus is going to be the stumbling block Church, do you know what we are called to do? We are called to remove every other conceivable stumbling block that we can so that Jesus Christ remains as the only stumbling block in front of people. What does that mean? That means that I give up my rights in many ways to be honored and respected by the world. I turn the other cheek. It means I give up the, this notion and thought that somehow the church should be in charge of the nation. It means I give up any sort of comfort that I have right here. I don't want to pick a fight with somebody outside in a, in a world that does not believe in Jesus. I want to pick a fight with them that has nothing to do with the person of Jesus. 
I want to make sure that when it comes to true religion, that they understand that Jesus is the central issue. It all comes back to him. I want him to be the block in which they are either going to receive honor or they're going to stumble and fall. But I want to get out of the way. So it's not really about my opinion on politics. It's not really about my opinion on really anything. When it comes to introducing people to the truth of Christianity, I want them to understand it solely is about Jesus. What are your thoughts on Jesus? In verse 9, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness. You're chosen, meaning that God is going to take all the promises that were on the people in the Old Testament. He's now fulfilling them here in the, in the church. You're a chosen people, one that God has mapped out. You're royal, meaning that you belong to the king. You're holy, which means you're set apart, that you're receiving a special kind of love from God, not just a general love. You're owned by God, not just borrowed for a season or for a, a brief moment, but we have actually been bought at a price. And then it says here in verse 10 that we are recipients. I believe this is an allusion here to Hosea, where Hosea's child was called, not my people. And later on, we get the name, this is my people. He's talking to, we now who were not the people of God are the people of God. What is it that is driving Peter? I want to summarize it in this. You may indeed be experiencing something right now that you may find to be deeply troubling and stirring in your soul. You may find something that is extraordinarily undesirable. You may be experiencing something in life right now that you would not wish upon your worst enemy. What Peter would have us to understand is this. Do not quit coming to him because it may just be that God is doing something in and through you at this particular moment so that a whole world around watching can see what it is that Jesus with skin on looks like. God may in fact be using you to receive rejection, to be shamed, to have dishonor, to join in with Jesus in that party so that he might put you on display and to show you how it is that a Christian responds. And a Christian doesn't respond because they've, they've done a whole lot of work internally and they've, they've been really just dis- A Christian responds like this because they're associated with Jesus. And the power of Jesus inside of them allows us to respond the same way he did. So he, in his ultimate rejection up on a cross, received the greatest amount of honor he could possibly receive from God. Scripture tells us that there, it is at the name of Jesus that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. In his shame, in his horror, is where he is most honored because that's where he did the work in order to make us right with God. Do you want to join in on helping others to see that they can be made right with God? What Peter's saying is this. Are there hard things in your life? Yeah. Absolutely. There's hard things going on in everybody's life. And so your choices are this. You can either stare internally at your navel all day long, figure out what are the problems in me? 
Woe is me. Why is me? You can stare all day long about the problems inside of your family, inside of your marriage, inside of your church, inside of your neighborhood. You can look and you will never exhaust all the things that are wrong with you personally, with your marriage, with your kids, with your work. You will never run out of seeing all of the wrong things. Or what you can do is you can look up. And you could say, God, I'm just asking that you would somehow or another use me in the process because of all the problems that we have going on internally right here, there's a much greater problem that exists out there. And that is that that world right there is destined to spend an eternity separated from God. That's a lifelong problem. What we experience is temporary. And so I want to beg you, do do look at what's going on inside of you and inside of others that you love. Do look at that. Do address that. But don't become so focused on you that you miss what's going on out there. John Piper, in teaching this particular passage, says it this way. Other people are born again when they hear you describe the light of the gospel. And when they're born again, they move from darkness to marvelous light. They see Christ for who he is in glory. They treasure him for who he is. They mag magnify him for who he is. And your joy is complete in their joy in him. If you're settled right now with the joy that you have in Jesus, apart from anybody else's coming to have joy in Jesus, you're about to lose it. Just like the Dead Sea grows nothing because there is no outlet, fish die when they get to the Dead Sea, and so does joy. You can feel it for a while, but not forever. Because Christian joy is the joy of God, and the joy of God spills over in sharing His Son, and the Son dies in order that other people might have joy in Christ. That's the kind of joy that comes into your heart. And therefore, if you bottle it up, and so it's just me and God, and it's good to know God, and whether anybody else enjoys knowing God is not relevant to my joy, that's not his joy. That's another thing. It's another religious thing. It's another aesthetic thing. My friends, what I want to encourage you to and beg you to is this, Let's consider what Jesus did right here. Can we consider all of the implications? And as we pray for our chief of police, and I, I beg you to do that. But as we do that, can we pray that somehow that God would take what's going on in his life and in his church, his wonderful church, and what's going on in our church? Can we say, God, would you take what's going on here and would you use it so that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness into marvelous light? Otherwise, we're just going to live an ingrown Christian life. Always focusing in on how it is that I can grow. How I can develop. And we will never, ever get to where we want to be.